Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We are going to begin our new series somewhere between six and nine weeks long. We will see what happens. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, and then 25 through 26. Um, I'm going to read God's word. We're going to stand together for that, and then I'm going to pray, um, and we'll get after it. Okay, so go ahead and stand up. You guys are making me nervous. <laughs> John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And he will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring you into remembrance of all that I have said to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can come to it as your people, and that you can teach us, that we can be uh, grown, that we can be comforted, that we can be united around what is true and good and right. I do just want to pray for each person in the room today, God. Uh, I know we're coming from a lot of different places, some good and some bad. I want to pray for the family this morning that lost a little girl on the camping trip that someone told me about, that you would just be showing your grace and your mercy and your comfort to them. I want to pray, God, for people who are new to church. Maybe this is their first time uh, in church or their first time here. And I want to pray for people who have been here for a long time and grown up in church. And I want to pray that your Holy Spirit would speak, would lead, would guide, would teach, would draw all of us uh, in a supernatural way, God, to unite our hearts around who you say your Holy Spirit is. And I pray, God, for this series as we step out into a study on the Holy Spirit, that you would keep <clears throat> unprofitable conflict away, unprofitable controversy away, and that you would unite our hearts, that you would deepen our love, that you would increase our passion, and that you would expand our obedience to your Holy Spirit, God, that he would empower us he would change us, that he would transform us. Where your people lead us where you will. And we'll thank you for it, for your glory and our joy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. I want to uh, kind of introduce this series in uh, three ways. One is just a quick illustration. Two is to give you the reason that we're doing this series here and now. And, t and three is just to kind of set some rails for our series on which... We're going to try to stay inside over the next six to eight or nine weeks, all right? So here's the illustration. I want you to imagine that you, uh, you and I went to lunch. We had a, a good time and uh, enjoyed our time together. And you leave and you go back to your office or to your workplace. And they say, hey, what'd you do for lunch? And you said, oh, I met, uh, I met Tim Dunn for lunch. And they go, oh, yeah, Tim, man, that, that dude has the biggest ponytail that I've ever seen on a black guy. And you say, what, what? And, and they say, yeah. And I mean, the dude's always wearing suits. I mean, always has like a full suit on. And the brother smokes like a chimney. It's crazy. But, you know, that being said, yeah, Tim, he's a good guy. And you say, 
uh, no, that's not, that's not Tim Dunn. And they say, yeah, 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 it is. And, and you say, no, I, man, I was, just, I was just with him. And he's got the opposite of a ponytail, and he's the opposite of a black guy. And I've only ever seen him wear a suit at a funeral or a wedding, and he, and he doesn't smoke. And they say this to you. Well, I mean, I just feel like that's what Tim Dunn is. <laughs> you say, what? And they say, well, okay, I read an, I read an article about Tim, and, and that's what it said that he is. And you say, but I, I, was, just, I was just with him. And they say, yeah, but uh, I was talking to somebody, and they hung out with him, and they told me that that's what he was like. And you said, but I was just with him, and that's, that's not who he is. Now, in that illustration, if that happened to you, and you couldn't agree with your coworker on who I was, it means absolutely nothing, right? However, if that happens to us with the Holy Spirit, we have a problem. If that happens to us with the Holy Spirit, where people who come together, united under the blood of Jesus, and say, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit, and they say, this is what he's like, and other people of God say, uh, that's not what he's like, and some people say, yeah, but that's what have I, I've experienced, or that's what somebody told me, or that's what I read, or that's what I feel, then we can get confused very, very quickly about who the Holy Spirit is. And we can get ourselves to a place where we don't know who's right and who's wrong, and we don't really want to say that anyone's wrong, so we just take this big pot of opinions and perspectives and experience and feelings and articles and posts and blogs, and somebody told me and somebody said, and I heard once, and we attribute them all to the Holy Spirit. And then what happens isn't necessarily that we have some things that are wrong or some things that are right, but here's what happens. It gets so confusing that we just decide to not make a big deal of it, to not talk about him, and to de-emphasize him for the sake of peace. And when that happens, when that happens, we've fallen prey to one of the major errors around the Holy Spirit, and that is to say, look, it's just too confusing, it's just too hard, people argue about it, People who both claim to love God come from different places and had a very different experience, and I don't know what to do with that, so here's the thing. We're going to make it God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scripture, and we're going to leave it at that. And they take the third person, the Trinity, and they put them on the shelf only to be referenced when we absolutely have to, and I would say that that is a major, major error. The second error that we tend to do is that we take him down off of the shelf and we begin to draw conclusions and we begin to properly emphasize him as the third person of the Trinity, but we don't talk about him, we don't teach about him, we don't disciple people about him, we leave them to their own conclusions and we don't expect people to get confused and we don't expect people to get hurt. Because here's the reality, guys. When we have a misunderstanding of God, it's not just an intellectual disagreement. It's that we don't understand or don't agree about the fundamental thing that makes us who we are. And we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is God. God. And so if we can't agree about who God is, we have trouble. 
we got trouble. And so the point of our series over the next few weeks is a handful of things. Number one is that we would properly know, properly worship, and properly enjoy the Holy Spirit, listen, as he says that he is. As he says that he is. I want you to think about something with me, and and this is one of those, well, duh, that I, as I've been reading through and talking with the elders and the teaching team and reading lots of people from lots of different perspectives, both living and dead, over the last few weeks, um, this struck me. The only real first-person account in the Bible is of the Holy Spirit speaking about himself. Because in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, who does it say wrote the Bible? Who's it say? It says that the Holy Spirit did. It says that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. That there were men, we know 40, over 1,600 years, who the Holy Spirit inspired to write the Bible. And so when we're reading through the Bible about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is explaining himself to us. And so it's presumptuous of us to come, to not come to the scripture and try to draw our own conclusions or to come to the scripture and say, yeah, but there's a bunch of other stuff because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about who he is. And let me, let me tell you what concerns me about this. I think that if I were the Holy Spirit and I had taken the time to supernaturally inspire people to talk about me, and then people who said they believed in me kept saying and attributing things to me that weren't from me, I would start to get ticked off. Like, if I wanted those suckers to think that I did that, I would have told them I did that. But I didn't. And yet they keep saying that I do. Or I told them that I would do this, and they never talk about it. They never talk about it. The Bible is written specifically by the Holy Spirit And so what we know about the Holy Spirit from the scripture is him telling us what he thinks we need to know about him. And our job as followers of Jesus, as believers in the Bible, saved, redeemed, transformed by the triune God, is not to say, well, I feel like, well, somebody told me, well, I heard once, our job is to read the Holy Spirit's account of himself and say, that's what we want. That's what we want. And some of those, that what's, that's what we want, will be mysterious. Some of them will freak us out. Some of them will go, yeah, but if I believe that, that makes me a... What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to, as best as you can, as best as you can, come to this with a clean slate and say, Holy Spirit, I believe that you speak. Holy Spirit, I want to know you. I want to worship you. I want to enjoy you. I want everything that you have for me, but I want what you have for me, not what somebody else says about you for me. I want what you have for me, and I'm trusting you to lead me according to the scripture that you wrote to a proper understanding of who you are. And whatever that is, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to worship it. I'm going to grow in it, and I'm going to trust you in wherever you take me. Fair enough? Okay. So let's start here. In redemptive history, there's a progressive rolling out of the three persons of the Godhead. And when we talk about the Godhead, we're talking about what's known as the Trinity. And the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit. If you were to take a Bible and just start reading down through it, the first person of the Godhead that you would run into most predominantly is God the Father. And what you would see about God the Father is that God the Father predominantly had a relationship with a group of people known as the nation of Israel. The Old Testament is Yahweh, God the Father's, Jehovah, God the Father's relationship to the people of Israel. The second rolling out of the Trinity happens at the end of the Old Testament and at the beginning of what we know as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And which person of the Trinity is most directly emphasized in the Gospels? Jesus is, yeah. And his predominant relationship is of a physical nature with his disciples and the people of Palestine at the time. And we read the Gospels and we understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what Jesus said by reading the Gospels as God rolls out who he is for us through the Scripture. At the end of the Gospels, Jesus is falsely accused, he's betrayed, he's crucified on a cross, he raises again, and as he goes to ascend, he says, I'm going to send you the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And the epistles of Paul, the books that Paul wrote, and the books uh, following in Acts and following Acts are the relationship or the description of the relationship between the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and who? The church. The church, us. Now I want you to listen to what John Owen says about this understanding of the Holy Spirit, because I think this puts it in proper perspective. And today's going to be one of those days where we're going to do more teaching than preaching. So if you want to take notes on the other side of your bulletin, there's some space for you to do that. But I'm just going to try to line the field for the rest of the series today. Listen to what John Owen says about this. He says that the sin of despising his, that being the Holy Spirit, his person, and rejecting his work, now is of the same nature with idolatry of old and with the Jews' rejection of the person of who? The Son. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the significance when we read through the Gospels and we see that the, predominantly the Jewish people rejected the messianic claims of Jesus. They said, we don't want that. We don't agree with who you say you are. We don't agree with what you say that you do. They rejected him and they crucified him. Here's what John Owen says. He says that if you're a person who looks at the claims of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit and says, I don't agree with that and I don't want it, it is the same as rejecting the person and work of Jesus. Now, when I read that, I was like, that's so obvious and so clear, and I've never thought of it that way. I've never thought of the idea of a church putting the Holy Spirit on the shelf being the equivalent of a rejection of the messianic claims of Jesus. I've never considered the idea of if we don't give time and space to receive, to know, to enjoy, to worship the Holy Spirit, it would be the same as us being Jews in the gospel and saying, yeah, I, you know, whatever. And so when we come to this understanding of the Holy Spirit, listen, this isn't something for us to be willingly confused about. Isn't something for us to be cloudy about? Isn't something for me to go, oh yeah, you know, Mike believes that about the Holy Spirit and I believe this, whatever. No, not whatever. We need to know who the Holy Spirit is. We need to know who the Holy Spirit is and we need to receive who he is and what he's done. So two things I want to say to you today. The first is that the Holy Spirit 
is not a creation of God or a manifestation of God, but he is God. The second is that the Holy Spirit is not a force, but he's a person. We're going to spend the rest of our time kind of talking through that. So first off, let's look at this idea of the Holy Spirit being God. Two false beliefs that you need to understand. The first is this idea that God the Father created the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is kind of like a triple A or double A God because he's a created God. So God the Father is really the big one. He's the starting pitcher on the Yankees. And the Holy Spirit is like an up and comer. Like he's a big deal and he's important. But, you know, he's kind of a second tier dude or God or whatever. The Bible flatly denies that. The other is this word modalism. It's this idea that the Holy Spirit is simply a manifestation of God. There are times that you kind of turn the corner and bump into God and he looks a little bit different than he did the last time that you see him. And he looks like the Holy Spirit this time and he looks like Jesus this time and he looks like a flame on top of a mountain this time. And it's all really just one person. It's just kind of showing up different ways. Again, the Bible flatly rejects that. The Bible says that God is of one essence, of one DNA, of one makeup, but that he's three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now in the Bible, it lays it out this way. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, it says that the Son is equal to the Father. Starting pitcher, major league, equal to the Father. In Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, it says that the Spirit is equal to the Son. So let's do the math. The Father and the Son are equal, and the Son and the Spirit are equal, which means that all three are what? are equal, are distinct, but equal, of same value, but differing role. The Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, I want you to check something out that kind of lays it out for us as clearly as we can possibly get it. Acts chapter 5, head over there if you have a Bible, and I want you to read this story, and we're going to be introduced to two people one by the name of Ananias and the other by the name of Sapphira. And here's what goes down. Ananias and Sapphira sell a property and they take the proceeds from that property and they bring their tithe to the apostles and they act like they're giving a certain amount, but they're actually giving another amount. So think of it this way. Let's say they make $10,000 on the sale of their property and they're going to give 10% of that, which would be $1,000. You guys are so smart. And they say, yo, Peter, here's my thousand bucks, or here's my 10%, and instead of a thousand, it's 300. That's what they do. And so look at what happens. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Y'all think it's awkward that we pass a bucket. How about if I stood up here and you just like dropped your checks at, the, at, at my feet? That would be really awkward for both of us, all right? But that's what... <laughs> was going down at this time. So Ananias, they get done worshiping. Beth gets done leading. And Ananias is like, yo, that worship was awesome. Hey, I sold a piece of land. Here's my giving from it. And look at what Peter says. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? To the Holy Spirit. And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now, who did he just say that he lied to? 
the Holy Spirit. Now, is he talking about two different people here? No, he's talking about the same person. You lied to the Holy Spirit, and in lying to the Holy Spirit, you lied to God. You lied to God, and in lying to God, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, not created by God, not a manifestation of God, 100% God of the same essence, but distinctly different. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible explains to us, in some kind of generalities, how the Trinity works then. How does God, who is one but three, how do they interact with one another? In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that kind of the brains of the operation is God the Father. That the plan for creation, that the plan for the purposes for his glory, those come from God the Father. In John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, it says that the plans of the Father are implemented by who? By the Son. When you read through the Gospels, you see over and over again, Jesus is like, I'm going to go do this because it's according to the will of the Father. Not of God, of the Father. So the Father says, here's the plan. The Son says, I'm going to submit myself to your will, not because I'm less than you, but because of my role and my relationship with you. And he implements that plan. And what is the plan? The plan is to glorify the Father. And so the Son, out of obedience to the Father, glorifies the Father in implementing the plan of the Father. And then the plan implemented by the Son is administrated by who? By the Spirit. It's administrated by the Spirit. And what we see in the Gospels in John 16, in 1 Corinthians 12, and Philippians 2, is that the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. And that the Spirit comes... And he speaks of the Son. And then in speaking of the Son, he fulfills the plan of the Father. What's the plan of the Father? What does the Father say that it is? To glorify the Son. The plan of the Father is to make much of Jesus, to exalt Jesus, to glorify Jesus. The plan of the Father was always for Jesus to come, for Jesus to die, for Jesus to redeem, for Jesus to do, and for God's people to look to Jesus and say, he's our guy. The Father plans it, the Spirit administrates it, the Son implements it. Both the Father and the Son send the Spirit to accomplish their plans. Now think, I want you to think about this. In John chapter 5 and verse 19, whenever Jesus is on this earth, he's doing all of these works, right? He's healing people. He's doing these crazy things. He's preaching these messages and people are like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. This dude is off the chain, man. This guy's awesome. Who does the Bible say empowered the ministry of Jesus? John 5 and 19 says that the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit empowers the ministry of of Jesus. Romans chapter 8, Jesus dies, Jesus is buried, and Jesus rises again. Who rose Jesus from the dead? The Holy Spirit did. And the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit comes upon the church in Acts chapter 2, and dwells the people of the church to make them everything that the Father has planned in changing them into the image of Jesus, in proclaiming the, end, the, the name of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who empowers us the same way that he empowered Jesus. What does Paul say? He says, listen, you all have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead in you. The Holy Spirit is the one 
who was specifically responsible for raising Jesus from the dead, and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come upon you, I'm going to indwell you, I'm going to empower you to do what the Father has always wanted by pointing you to Jesus, by empowering you to proclaim him, by empowering you to be transformed into his image, and when you do those things with my power, listen, it will bring glory to God and joy to you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's how the Holy Spirit works within the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is God. Within the Trinity, in relationship with the Trinity, with a specific role in the Trinity to accomplish the plans of the Father implemented by the Son to the glory of God and the joy of his people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a Jedi, okay? He's not green smoke. He's not an invisible thing that moves stuff around in weird and creepy ways. He's a person. He's a person. I want you to, I want you to think about the implications of this. It matters what you think God uses to accomplish his purposes for you. Does he use a distant, impersonable, unrelatable it? Or does he use someone that can be known, experienced, and enjoyed who possesses a will, emotions, and a personality? And whatever you believe about that answer will dramatically form your Christian experience. Dramatically inform your Christian experience. Because if I think that the thing that God uses to administer the implemented work of Jesus to the glory of God, and, and, and the Spirit gives glory to the Son, and the Son gives glory to the Father, and the Father glorifies the Son, and all that kind of deal. If I think that it's just an it that does that, I, I can't relate to that, right? I, I don't have a relationship with this chair, it. Equally, if I think that the the particular prominent relationship, the person that I have empowered relationship with in the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And he is relatable. He has a personality. He has a will. He has emotions. I can know him. I can enjoy him. I can be in community with him. I can talk to him. I can... Then that begins to form my Christian walk. And so when Jesus says that he's going to send the Spirit, he introduces the Spirit to us. Think of it this way. You, you go into a room and, hey man, how's it going? Hey, this happened to me last night. I hung out with, uh, with Tony Tucci for a little bit and we went into his brother-in-law starting a barbershop uh, downtown. Two-seat barbershop, super duper cool, probably the most hipster experience you'll ever have, all right? Um, so if you're looking for that kind of thing, you should go. But we go in, and Tony, if you, if you all know Tony, he's the most relatable dude you'll ever be around, right? Knows everybody. Uh, I think him and Paul Vanderbilt, he should run for mayor, right? They just know everybody. And here's what Tony would do. Hey, bro, how's it going? You know, dude hug, that kind of deal. Hey, this is my friend, Tim. And then we would start talking, right? What Jesus does is Jesus says, hey, man, it's good to see you. Listen. I'm going to be sending somebody for you to hang out with, for you to get to know. So let me tell you a couple things about him. 
That's what he does in John chapter 14. I want you to look at how he explains him. In John 14 and verse 16, yes, front row, way to go. John 14 and verse 16, he says this, I'm going to send you, we always say a helper. That's not what he said. I'm going to send you another helper. That's what the scripture says. Another like who? Like Jesus, who's a person. I'm going to send you someone to continue to help you in the same way that I've been helping you. To continue to guide, to continue to disciple, to continue to teach, to continue to comfort, to continue to help you to understand what's going on here. I'm going to send you another helper. He's the Spirit. That's what he says, number one. Number two, he compares his dwelling, the Spirit's dwelling in us, with his dwelling with the disciples. Think about this. How well did Peter know Jesus? Really, really well. Why? Because he was always in proximity to him. So Peter knew how Jesus talked, what Jesus liked, what Jesus didn't like, when he got up, what his laugh sounded like, how he smelled, when he was having a good day, when he was having a bad, like Peter knew those things. And here's what Jesus says, look, the same way that you know me and interact with me, same thing's going to happen with the Spirit. Why? Because Jesus is relatable because Jesus is a person. And so Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Spirit, but understand, the relationship's going to be very similar to what you have with me. He says that to the disciples. He says, he will teach and bring to remembrance the things that Jesus has said. In other words, there are times where I don't know something, and the Holy Spirit, because he's in relationship with me, is going to identify, Tim doesn't know that, and he needs to know that, and he's going to take something that Jesus said and apply it to what I need to know. Now, can an it do that? I'm having a bad day, so um, you feel like you could take what you know of Jesus and apply it to my life, please? No. <laughs> he's, not, he's not an object. He's a person. He's a person. He's going he's gonna to teach us. And part of teaching is this idea of knowing. And lastly, 14 and verse 17, he is a what? He's a he. He's a he. He's not an it. He's not a she. He's a he. Now, there are certain times in Scripture where the Greek uses feminine tones for him. But the reality of it is that every single person in this room has masculine and feminine aspects to them, some of us more or less, right? Yeah, he's, he's a person. He's a he. Jesus, when he's introducing the Holy Spirit to us, never uses any kind of objectifying language. He uses personal language. He's a he. He's coming. He's going to be with you. He's going to teach you. He's going to help you. Here he is. That's how he explains him. I want you to look at some other scriptures that we get laid out for us. In Acts chapter 8, he speaks. He speaks. He, he converses. Acts 15, he makes decisions. Acts 4, he can be grieved. Listen, this chair doesn't care what you do. Doesn't care if you sit on it. Doesn't care if you move it to the corner. Doesn't care if you throw it out the window. Doesn't care. The Holy Spirit however, looks at our life, knowing the plan that God has for us, knowing the things that Jesus has done for us and our identity from it, and when we choose to live apart from it, what happens? He's grieved. 
He's grieved because he loves us, because he cares about us, because he knows us. Hebrews chapter 10, he can be outraged. So there are times where he's sad and there are times where he's ticked. Let me just say, you don't want the Holy Spirit ticked off at you. <laughs> you don't. Hebrews chapter 10, he can be outraged. Acts chapter 5, he can be lied to. We just saw that. You can only lie to a person. You can't lie to the wall. The wall's never going to say, but Tim, you said... It's not going to do that. Because it's an object. It's not, it's not a he. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he comprehends. He comprehends. He understands. Acts 16... He can forbid and prevent human plans. Maybe you are uh, with a friend or with your spouse, and they say something to you that ticks you off, and you're about to say something, and the Holy Spirit goes, whoa, don't say that. You ever had that happen? You should be saying yes. Otherwise, you said a lot of dumb things. All right? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he, he can stop us. He can guide us. He can teach us. He, he, he knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. He helps and intercedes. You're having that great day and you don't know how to thank God for it. The Holy Spirit says, I'll take it from here. You're having a terrible day and you don't know what you're really going to be able to get away with in praying. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll take it from here. He intercedes on our behalf. He, he does what, what we need. He bears witness of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. Have you ever had those times where you forget who God says that you are? Who reminds you? Holy Spirit. Even if he uses a person to do it, the Holy Spirit sovereignly brings people into your life to remind you or he reminds you. Now, how does he do that if he doesn't know? And how does he know if he's not a person? And how does he know if he's not related to and relating to you? John 16, he gives glory. He, he establishes worth and gives glory. And then here's my favorite one, Romans chapter 15. He loves. He loves. You know that the Holy Spirit loves you? Loves you. Enjoys you. Likes you. Thinks well of you. The Holy Spirit is, is a person to be related to, to be in a relationship with with personal attributes, with a personality. And so when we say we want to get to know the Holy Spirit, this is not an intellectual ascent. This isn't a, the a theology class. This is that he can be known, and he has things that we need to know, and that our knowledge of them results in our worship of him. And as we worship him for who he is, our enjoyment of him grows. That's our intent as we study him. He's a person. He's a he. He's not an it. He's not a thing. He's not a fog. He's not a smoke. He's the spirit of God who can and should and must be known by the people of God. Now, what does this mean for us? What's this mean? Three things. Three things, and then we'll be done. And listen, I, I know, uh, well, let me just say this. We got several weeks to get into, yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about this? What we're trying to do is just establish a starting place of the things that, honestly, in my mind, if you don't, if you don't agree so far, you're not going to agree with anything else. Okay, so this is our, our starting place. What does this mean? Number one, if you don't have the Spirit, you get none of God. But if you have the Spirit, you get all of God. Something that you need to understand. 
um, spirit-filled is not a denomination. It's a Christian thing. In other words, if you're not spirit-filled, you're not a Christian. Amen? And you say, yeah, but I've seen a lot of stuff with the spirit-filled, and I don't, ah, don't go there yet. We'll get there. In order to have Jesus, you must have the Spirit. And if you have Jesus, you will have the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, you will have Jesus and you will have the Father. It's a, it's a package deal. And so to put the Holy Spirit on the shelf, to say, this is confusing, I don't think I like it, to say, there's been people who have done stuff that I don't like, so I don't want any part of that. It's, you can't pull it apart. You can't say about time, I love the past and the present, I just don't want the future. Doesn't work that way. You can't say about me, listen, I, uh, I like your personality, I just don't like to look at you. Sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry, let's just be straight. Whatever, all right? You can't pull it apart, it's the same thing with God. If you have one, you have all three. If you have all three, you have the spirit, that's number one. Number two, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have any power. And if you don't have any power, it's because you don't have the Spirit. I want to be straight about this, guys. Some of us, God saved us by His grace many years ago. And we're the same person we were then. And for some of us, it's because we're afraid to really sink our teeth into who the Holy Spirit is. But here's the problem. If we don't have a relationship to the Holy Spirit, we have no way to be changed to look like Jesus. Listen, you say, I really want to be a better husband. Awesome. Rules aren't going to do that. Only the Holy Spirit can. Effort isn't going to do that. Only the Holy Spirit can. And so all the things that we say as good Christians that we want to be and do, we cannot do them without the Holy Spirit. And that's why a lot of times whenever I say Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves, and some of you get, you get so ticked at that. What do you mean I can't do that for, for myself? I mean you can't do that for yourself. I mean that Jesus does a work that we can't do and gives us the Holy Spirit to empower a work that I can't do out of sheer effort and discipline and legalism. And even if I could, you want to know the dirty secret? I won't. Because the Holy Spirit changes my heart, changes my mind, changes my activity, changes me from the inside out, and only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so if I want life-altering transformation power, I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. And so for some of us, we need to come to this series and we need to say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me that I've ignored you that I've tried to pull you apart and that I've cherry-picked what worked for me. And God, give me the Holy Spirit and change me to the glory of your name. Lastly, the Spirit brings to pass what was made possible by Jesus and what was planned by the Father, and it's this, for God to have a people that he was with. This is the best part. This is the best part. God has always wanted a people that he could be with. God brings Israel out of Egypt. And what does he say? 
hey, build me a house so I can be with you. And they say, well, we don't really do the house thing. We, we're kind of in the desert. And they're like, he, what's he say? Well, just build me a tent. I mean, a sweet tent. But build me a tent. Why? So that I can be with you. And then once they get a land, what's he say? Build me a house. And then when Jesus comes, where is he? He's with them. And when Jesus leaves, he's like, here's the deal. My dad really, really just wants to be with you, so he's going to send his spirit so that he can. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that God is a person, and I want you to know that God wants a relationship with you. And so if you're black, white, yellow, red, brown, God wants a relationship with you through his spirit. If you're Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party, Republican, God wants a relationship with you through his spirit. If you're gay, straight, bi, trans, whatever, God wants a relationship with you. If you're upper class, middle class, lower class, God wants a relationship with you through his spirit. Why? Because he wants to be with you. And what's the job of the church? The job of the church is to know the plan of God and exalting the Father and saying, we're going to point you to Jesus and then we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and change you however he sees fit for the glory of the Son and the Father. And so what does the church do? We make much of Jesus according to the plan of God and we trust the Holy Spirit to convict you of the things that he needs to convict you of, to change you into the image of Jesus, to empower you for mission so that our community can be built, so our neighbors can be changed, so that God can be glorified and we can rejoice in it. Maybe you've heard that before at Damascus Road. Yeah. None of those things we can do without the Holy Spirit. So we want to be a spirit-filled church. We want to be a spirit that's Trinitarian in the fullest sense. We want to believe that God is a person, not a force, that God is relatable, that God is near, wants to be near. We want to grow in our knowledge of him, grow in our worship of him, grow in our enjoyment of him, and grow in our empowerment through him for his glory and our joy. Stand with me. A couple ways that I'd like you to respond. I'd like you to we're going to have the band come off and we're going to do some, some, some more singing. And what does scripture say? That when God's people sing, his spirit inhabits their praise. And so we have an opportunity right now to grow in our knowledge of the Holy Spirit by singing. We're going to take communion. We're going to see what the Father planned, the Son accomplished, and what the Spirit points us to by being reminded of the cross. And then we're going to pray. We'll have people in the back. We're going to have people in the back who, who care about you. If you need prayer today, they're going to meet you back there and would love to pray with you. Pray with me, and then we will sing. God, we love you today. Thank you, God, that you are near. God, the idea that you want to be with your people, that you created people through the blood of your Son, and then you, you want to be with them. And God, that you want to be with them to such an extent that you inhabit their congregation and you indwell their person that we have people walking around that the Spirit of God is in. God, I pray that you will grow us in our knowledge of the Spirit, our worship of the Spirit, our enjoyment and love for the Spirit, and our empowerment through Him over the next two months. God, there's lots of confusion, and we understand why that is, because we have an enemy who doesn't want us to know who you are. So give us clarity, give us wisdom, help us to ask good questions and have wise conversation. And lead us who you are 
so that you can be glorified and made much of, so that we can be built up as your people and rejoicing in your plan, in your purposes, in your work, so we can be everything that you want us to be and receive everything they have for us. We'll thank you for it according to your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, consuming fire.